This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker Spine and Orthopedic Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Karina, an orthopedic surgeon at TLC Outpatient Surgery and Laser Center in Lady Lake, Florida. Dr. Karina, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we dive into the questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I'm a board-certified fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon. I've been practicing in Central Florida um, since the start of my practice, which was in 1993. So close to 30 years in the same location with the same population. We have a tremendously high Medicare population because we're in the midst of a large retirement community, which may be the largest single family-owned retirement community in the United States. So we've been dealing with Medicare patients for the for the last 30 years and have developed a unique relationship with them. Absolutely. You know, that, that just sounds really fascinating. Could you tell me a little bit more about your outpatient total joint procedures um, for those in the Medicare population? What makes, you know, what you're doing unique? Well, it actually all started with a change in perception. Total joint replacements, obviously, have been around for 40 years. Outpatient joint replacements, I believe, been around for the last 15 to 20 or so, with partial knee replacements having been done as outpatients since about 2005, so about 15 years. Uh, we started doing outpatient partial knee replacements right around that time and transitioned into the total joint, um, into the total joints and total knees and total hips when Medicare allowed us to start doing those in the outpatient setting. What we noted that was when we started doing this, we had a tremendously abrupt change in perception after about two years of doing um, partial knees and total knees. We shifted from trying to select the right patient to actually making the right patient. And the reason we did that is because we began to understand that outpatient surgery really meant different anesthesia, different analgesia, different preparation, and different rehabilitation. And once we got to that point, we realized that selecting the right patient wasn't good enough, especially in this population, since the right patient would only show up about 15% of the time. The other 85% of patients would then not never have access to this amazing, um, this amazing access to this amazing uh, these amazing procedures and access to the outcomes that come from them. So once we changed our mindset, we started looking at what we had to do to make the right patient as opposed to select the right patient. Once we started doing that, we realized that probably 80% of Medicare patients would be candidates for outpatient arthroplasties, which would tremendously improve the access to arthroplasty for this group of patients. 
Got it. You know, that's really fascinating to hear. Um, and, you know, when you look at all those different steps that you're taking in order to prepare the patients for the outpatient procedure, what did it take on your end to make that transition, um, you know, smooth, especially as you're working with this pa patient population? I know, you know, on the clinical side, you can um, have people really likely quicker understand the reasoning and that it can be done. But from the patient perspective, what do you do um, to, to really prepare them and make sure that things are going to be an effective procedure? Actually, the patient initiates the process. We, in order to smoothly transition into this, you have to have patients that are engaged and willing to undergo the process. You'll never, you'll never talk somebody in this population into outpatient arthroplasty. They have to be willing to explore the option. And at that point, you already have an ally. That patient now becomes your ally. The biggest surprise that we found in, in making the transition was how willing these patients were to change things that they have, to change patterns in their lifestyle to, to avail themselves to an outpatient procedure. And then the the pandemic last year just accelerated the process because now people were very hesitant to go into environments where there were many people around, where there were people that they perceived as being unhealthy, et cetera. So that pushed us to look even more strongly at our outpatient platform. But once you have an engaged patient or once you have a curious patient, you, we were surprised at what these patients would do what changes these patients would make to their lifestyle in order for us to be able to avail them to an outpatient arthroplasty. So it all comes back full circle to the patient. Got it. Got it. That's, that's really fascinating to hear. And so interesting, you know, to, uh, to know from your perspective, the patients really then being the driver of this situation, how do you see the outpatient total joint landscape evolving in the next five years or so? Well, I think um, it's only going to become a larger and larger percentage of those total joint replacements or osteoplasty procedures that are done. I don't see it going back because the access to arthroplasty in general, but doing outpatient osteoplasty tremendously increases the value of osteoplasty as as an option and as a procedure because the outcomes improve, the cost goes down, the patients are happier, the payers are happier, and the providers are happier. So it's a win-win, win-win situation where everything that you could possibly want from a procedure, improved outcomes, decreased cost, and happier patients is what you end up with when you're looking at the at an outpatient arthroplasty. So I see the landscape changing in the sense that more and more people will seek out more and more outpatient arthroplasty platforms. And I think the one thing that we have to always keep in mind is that every community is different. And in order for this, for a, an outpatient arthroplasty program to work, you have to understand and know, one, your patient demographic and who your patients are, and two, the resources that are available in your community. Once you can tie those two together to form a process that allows for a safety net for that patient, then you're well on your way. 
Absolutely. I think that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, something that you just mentioned in your, your last response caught my attention. When you're looking at, you know, knowing the resources available in the community, uh, how, what are you referring to in that regard? And, um, you know, are there any partnerships that you've been able to strike um, that really, you know, help this process along? We, we found that when I, when I speak about resources, I mean, the other ancillary providers in your community that are available to um, to help you bring these patients to the point where they are uh, viable candidates. And this can be everything from nutritionists and dietitians to um, home health agencies, physical therapists, to um, urgent care facilities, and even um, other orthopedic groups. So it's... Uh, it's a process that starts with the diagnosing of the patient and goes through the patient recovery. So there are many things that you have to do preoperatively oftentimes to get these patients ready because they are your older, more, um, I say slightly more complex patients in the sense that they have more comorbidities, they have more things going on. But these are all things that are, the majority of which are changeable. So you can impact the comorbidity through changes in lifestyle, smoking, um, weight loss, dealing with uh, patients' mental health, depression, all these things, when you impact them, you impact the general well-being of this patient. And the better you can get the patient preoperatively, the less likely that person will have a problem postoperatively when they're going through their recovery. Dr. Karina, I have one more question for you before we wrap up our conversation. What do other orthopedic surgeons need to know in order to begin outpatient total joints for their patients, especially those in the Medicare population? I think that... Um, the biggest thing is the mindset and the perception. I think that without patient arthroplasty, you have to look at your community and your population. It's, you don't, we don't want a rush to conformity with a lack of evidence. And in that, I mean, it's pretty much an open frontier now in terms of outpatient arthroplasty. But the, what we should be doing is opening up people, other orthopedic surgeons and patients' minds to the opportunity instead of closing them off. So what we need to do is get more evidence out there. And, but in order to do that, we have to be willing to look at these patients and say, this patient may need a little more work up front, but this is doable. So if we can open our minds and have people look at this with an open mind, saying that Every not looking at it as, oh, my God, I have to select this absolutely perfect patient now, but more going to the, going to the mindset of, wait a minute, this patient has this, 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 this. What can I do to mitigate the risk of each one of these things before this person has this intervention, which they need to continue with their life? Because what we always, always have to realize is that there's evidence out there now already that says that there's a there's a significant benefit in this population to having arthroplasty surgery 
people that are able to move better, people that don't delay arthroplasty surgery or have arthroplasty surgery, live tend to live longer, have fewer bouts of depression, end up entering um, nursing facilities or or extended or um, elder care facilities at a later age, and have have better mental health overall, and have fewer falls which risk them breaking their other hip or breaking their joints. So there is a distinct benefit for this particular population to undergo these procedures. And if we can offer them to them in a safe, in a safer fashion or in a fashion that allows them to continue their lives in the way that they want, then we shouldn't stand in the way of that. We should find out how to do that better and better and better. It's our duty to evolve in that sense. Dr. Karina, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here.